We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Sorry we cannot be with you all yesterday, but uh, been under the weather a little bit lately, just kind of off and on, have some good days and some bad days. Yesterday was not a good day, but my guy Sean Davis checked in on me, made me feel better, made me laugh, so got through it. That's that The healing power of laughter helped me feel better today, so now we are back and ready to rock and roll with another subject and another topic today, Sean, and look. Joe Rudolph is Notre Dame's going to be Notre Dame's offensive line coach after the things that we discussed the other night, the hurdles with meeting with Jack Swarbrick and Father Jenkins and most Jenkins and most importantly the Notre Dame players. That all went through. It went through from everything we've been told incredibly well. Uh, rave reviews, so that's all good. Got the players' stamp of approval. Not that they would have been able to kind of like be this trump card if they said no. Freeman's like, well, I was going to hire him, but the players didn't like him, so I guess I can't hire him now, right? But it is an important part of the process and something that Coach Freeman puts a lot of value on. So uh, that went through, and so now you're going to see Joe Rudolph as the offensive line coach. And so we now have a pretty good idea of what the offensive staff is going to look like. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the, the the Notre Dame offense from a combination of the staff and where the roster is and discuss whether or not Notre Dame is better off now or if they were better off a year ago. So have they projected upwards or have they trended downwards with all the changes? Because, look, we've seen some major changes in the offensive staff, right? Obviously, Tom Maurice has gone to Alabama. He is no longer the offensive coordinator or the quarterback's coach. And Harry Heastan retired. So now you're looking at it to where you've got a new a new offensive coordinator. That's going imp- to could potentially impact the tight end room because now – Instead of just coaching the tight ends, the tight ends coach is now also the offensive coordinator. You've got a new quarterbacks coach who's going to have to learn these players. And you have a new offensive line coach who's going to have to do the same thing. Dela McCullough is back uh, and and Chancey Stuckey is back. And so you look at the room, it's a lot different. You're going to have different GA this year. I think you have different analysts this year. And, of course, the roster is different. So we just want to kind of get a view of, okay, is the Notre Dame offense trending in the right direction or the wrong direction? And that's what the point of today's show is. And so we'll talk a little bit big picture, Sean, and I'll let you kick off first. We'll talk a little big picture, and then we'll kind of dive into each specific thing because the reality is, Sean, this is an important topic 
because Coach Freeman, I thought, did really well with his offensive hires last year. Uh, really well. When you look at deep co- what Coach McCullough did as the running backs coach, what Coach Stuckey did as receivers coach was outstanding. What Coach Parker did as the tight ends coach was outstanding. And what Coach Eastan did as the offensive line coach was outstanding. Yeah. He needed to have a good offseason, right? And the perception is not good, if we're going to be honest. The way it all went down. But the staff is in place now. And it's good to focus on, okay, forget – the way it, the way we got here, forget that, and let's look at who's here, because if this offense doesn't take a step forward, Sean, this team isn't going to get a lot better, and I think that's why this is an important topic. And now that we have the staff settled, and we know what the roster is going to look like, and spring ball is less than a, you know about twenty days away, it's time to look and say, okay, is it? Are we in a better place now than we were at this time a year ago? Yes or no? Why or why not? And that's what we're going to have to find out, and that's what we're going to discuss today, Mister Davis. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, I definitely think we're in a much better place. And I just want to use this because it was something that um, I had an opportunity to discuss with Malik a little bit earlier today. And that's how do you make an imprint on good teams? Like, how do you stun good teams? And when you face good teams, I I believe that you stun good teams offensively. You don't really stun them defensively, right? Because good teams feel like they're going to score eventually. If you shut us down the first quarter, you shut us down the second quarter, eventually they feel like they're going to get going and put their 30 points up. In order to get the attention of good teams and get over the hump, you have to be able to do it offensively. You have to be able to grab their attention and say, make them say, oh, snap, we're in a ball game. Like, they came ready to play. And I think when you see teams ascend, like Clemson with Dabo, they did it with offense, even though they had a very good defense. I think when you thought LSU, they made their point with offense. They had a lot of great players that went to the NFL on defense. And what we've seen historically at Notre Dame is that the defense has been able to keep Notre Dame in games against good teams but they haven't been able to make that mark offensively. And when you look at the offensive positions and the offensive hires, whether or not you love the hire, the one thing I do love, Brian, 
is the continuity. Because I think this staff is going to have more continuity and more of a family atmosphere than the staff last year. That's just my opinion, the outlook on it. And I think that's going to transfer over to the players, and we'll see it on the field in some way, form, or fashion. We already know with Sam Hartman, we saw Tyler Buckner's improvement in the Gator Bowl. We fully expect that the quarterback position will take a step forward as well. We see the numbers in the wide receiver room come forth. Caleb Smith coming in as a grad transfer. The great freshman class that they have. Tobias Merriweather taking a step forward, along with the cast of characters that have been here for more than two years. You fully expect Chancey Stuckey in his second year to make a further imprint on the offense with his wide receiving core. And I believe it was Dylan McCullough that said it on Twitter the other day. Name one Saturday in the fall where we're not going to have the best quarterback, the best running backs, and the best offensive line on the field. And you're hard-pressed to find anything on the schedule to say, well, I mean, he's telling the truth. And so when you expect all of that, when you get to these big games, when you get to Ohio State coming in, when you get to USC coming in, you fully expect the offense to be the, the unit to take the field and make the other team say like, oh, okay, this is not the same Notre Dame. This, this is a different Notre Dame that we have to battle and grab their attention. So when we look at the roster and we look at the coaching staff and the setup, regardless of how you feel about the hires, they are definitely set up in a much better position than they were in 2022. Well, and I think that's why the hires had to be important because of some of the other stuff is going to be better off. And, you know, you talk about the the coaching staff and being in a better place. And that's an interesting dynamic to discuss, Sean, because in some ways I could say, hey, look, this is a staff where, where, where once again, for the second year in a row, you have a bunch of guys that have never coached together. are going to have to coach together before. Right. Mm-hmm. None of the guys on the staff have coached with Joe Rudolph. None of the guys on the staff have coached with uh, Gino Gadouli, I don't believe, right? And it's because none of the offensive coaches are from Cincinnati. Now, Marcus yeah. Freeman has, and Brian Mason has, and, and, and Al Washington has, but none of the other offensive coaches have. And that's very true. So, but you still have three coaches from last year that are still back, whereas the last year you sort of had one and a half. Now, Coach Heastan had coached with Coach Reese before, but he never coached with any of the other coaches before. So – it is interesting in the fact that you are able to kind of have more coaches that have worked well together, coaches that kind of came in together because it's all the new guys that are still here, right? Because Coach Eastan retired and then Tommy left. So guys that had been at Notre Dame before are gone. And, and now it's the new guys that kind of had to come in as new guys, hadn't been at Notre Dame before, had to kind of connect and bond together. They were the skill position coaches last year, running back, receiver, tight ends. So clearly there was a, a, a partnership that that developed with those guys. And so you do have, like you said, Sean, even though you have a new offensive coordinator, you didn't hire an outsider that's bringing in a completely different system and a completely different dynamic. Jared Parker is going to do things a lot differently than Tommy Reese, which is always the case when you hire a new coordinator. And you should always want a coordinator, whether you like him or as a hire or not. Or, or if you think Tommy Reese is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you still want Jared Parker to do it his way. If you think, Tommy Reese wasn't good, then obviously you're going to want Jared Parker to do it his way. Coach always has to be himself. That's an important piece. But it's being himself within the same terminology, the same overall philosophy, the same overall structure, and there's just going to be some wrinkles and some adjustments and some tinkers here and there. But it's going to be a lot of, okay, they know this. The players know this. And I think that's an important part of it, Sean. And so I think that's kind of where this conversation begins is there is going to be some continuity where last year there really wasn't a lot of continuity 
you had continuity from a, a scheme standpoint, but all the coaches needed to get to know the new players. Even And that's why I say one and a half, because Coach Eastan had worked with Coach Reese before. That's where the half comes from. But he'd never really worked with any of the players in the roster outside of Josh Luck. Yeah. And he only worked with Josh for a year. So there wasn't continuity there. He didn't recruit most of those guys to the team. And so there, there was a period where Coach Eastan and Coach McCullough and Coach Stuckey and Coach Parker had to really get to know the roster. And until you get to know the roster, you don't know which buttons – you know, to necessarily push with each each kid. So, for example, look at Coach Eastan. He's going to coach his way. But part of the reason that he's a successful coach, Sean, is he's going to coach his way, but he also understands that I got to push Robert Hainsey's buttons a little bit differently. And you guys had a great interview with Robert yesterday, so I'm using an example. But the buttons I got to push to get Robert going are going to be different than the buttons I got to push to get Liam Eikenberg going or Aaron Banks going or Zeke Carell going or whoever else. And that's what yeah. good understand yes i'm going to coach my way but i also know that hey i gotta i gotta this kid needs more of a kick in the pants than this kid this kid needs sometimes more of a let me put my arm around you and and tell you're going to be all right after i ripped you where this other kid doesn't need that right and so that's where you it takes time to learn that well now at receiver at tight end and running back there is going to be an element to that where they already have that that relationship established and i do think that's continuity And and the reality is, Sean, is you you can look at things a certain way and say, hey, there's turnover and there's this and there's that. But sometimes and this and and this doesn't even mean a a negative towards Tommy Reese. It's not even about Tommy Reese. Yeah. You know, but but you come down from the standpoint of saying, like, sometimes turnover can be can can not be good or bad, but it's just it's just how you how you handle it is, is can be good. So the thing I point to is. You know, Dabo Sweeney brought in Chad Morris to run his offense when he became the head coach of Clemson, right? And the year before Chad Morris gets there, they're averaging like 20 and a half points a game. Chad comes in there and and they get better, right? Every year, you know, 10, 11, they jump from 20, 20 excuse me, they're averaging 24 points a game. Yeah. Up to 33, 41, uh, 42. They had 30.8 the year the before, fit, you know, Deshaun Watson's freshman year. Had a couple games where he was out, so the offense took a little bit of a, a dip. But he had established the foundation. And and then he leaves, and what did Dabo do? He promoted from within. You know, Tony Yelly yeah. and Jeff become co-coordinators, right? And he surrounded yeah. himself with people that knew what he was trying to accomplish at Clemson. They weren't big names. They were not sexy hires. They were not, oh, you went out and got this guy. And probably more things to say about them that people are saying about Jared Parker, understandably, justifiably so. These aren't criticisms of people. This is just when a guy has does not have experience doing something. It's I mean, you can't sit there and and I can't sit here in good faith and say Jared Parker's gonna crush it next year. I just know it. How Mm -hmm. could I possibly know that? Just like I couldn't in good conscience if I wanted to be, you know, Debbie Downer and say, this is a bad hire. He's going to do a terrible job. I, yeah. I have no idea. No idea. None of us do. And it would have been the same thing then. But he made that hire, and then the next four years, that Clemson offense carried that program to a championship. Now, the defense was 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 obviously very good too, right? But it was the offense that truly separated Clemson and, and really took them to that next level. And that's what Notre Dame is going to have to do. But offensively, they've got to make that jump. And so it was important to Coach Freeman get the hires right. And as we have said all along, everybody knows we had certain coaches we liked and didn't like. But what we said was, is there's not one guy, right, at each position that is the only answer to that the future of that position. Yeah. And that's what I think people need to understand is everybody knows my opinion on Andy Ludwig. But as I said all along, he was not the only guy that can do a good job at Notre Dame. 
right. was one of guys, and you need to hire one of those guys. Same thing with offensive line. Joe Rudolph was not at the top of my offensive line list. Never hidden that fact. But as we've also said, but that's still an upgrade over what you had before Harry Heastan came here. Right. And so that's what's interesting about this whole dynamic, Sean, is it's not about, okay, upgrade here, downgrade there, upgrade. It's about as a staff, as a whole, can they work together? And I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic. And we don't know the answer to that. But I think the fact that there's more people that that Marcus Freeman hired that say, you're going to believe and buy into what I want to do. I think that's something that's really going to help this team because you know you have buy-in because these are now all Marcus Freeman's hires. It's completely his. There's no, yeah. there's no conversation about, well, if it wasn't for this guy taking the job, Freeman never gets hired. Well, this guy was hired before Freeman. This guy was given autonomy. This guy was given that. And that's none of that's criticism on Tom Reese. That's criticisms on the process. The process sucked. And it created, a, a to me, a power dynamic problem on that side of the ball. That's gone. For me, Sean, that's point number that's one yeah. in, the, in the check. And again, this is not a Tommy Reese shot. This is a Jack Swarbrick problem because he created it that way. But that dynamic right there, yeah. that there's no longer that dynamic of, okay, who's really in charge? Is this guy bought into this, that, or the other thing? That's gone. And to me, that's box number one when you start talking about is the staff as a whole in a better place because all five guys that are currently on staff were not Tommy Reese's. And remember, that was the other thing. Oh, this guy was a Tommy Reese hire or whatever else. Right. These are all Marcus Freeman guys now. And that's a very important, very, very important thing because this net, we we will not have the questions of who's in charge at Notre Dame. We know who's in charge. And now he's got one of his guys that's running the offense. He's got one of his guys coaching the offensive line. He's got one yeah. of his guys coaching the quarterbacks. And that's where <clears throat> Notre Dame's got to be. Again, not a shot on Coach Easton. Everybody knows my feelings on Coach Easton. It's not a shot on Tommy Reese. It's just there can that that is gone now. Yeah. Whether Tommy Reese created that or not, I don't think that he did. I think Jack Swarbrick created that drama. I think some other nefarious people behind the scenes created that drama. I don't believe Tommy Reese was talking to media people saying, hey, you guys know that I'm really in charge here. Right. I can assure you that's never a conversation that I had with Tommy Reese, ever. He never had a, well, Marcus can't tell me what to do mentality. But other people created that nonsense, and it was allowed to grow because of the way that Jack Swarbrick had the process go. That's gone. That's out of there. I think that's the that's where we have to start with this conversation, Sean. I think Marcus Freeman has faced a lot of challenges. And I think what you're going to get, and I, I fully believe, he's going to be highly motivated. He's already a highly motivated individual. No excuses, find answers. That's who he is. But I think now he's even he has extra motivation just based upon a lot of things that have happened in my opinion, going all the way back to his hiring, some of the things he talked about, even up until this day. He's coming into the spring highly motivated, already with the belief that this team in 2023 has a chance to be special. And that's why he decided to go out and make the move to bring in a transfer quarterback that ended up being Sam Hartman. So with all of that being said, his mindset and you talking about the continuity and the coaching staff being highly motivated as well, and I watched the energy, just, you know, what the video they tweeted out with Jared Parker yesterday with the players, the energy with the coaches having and going back and competing against the players and simple things like cornhole and all of that. You love to see that. You say, well, man, what does that really mean? 
because it has no connection to football. Okay, maybe they're not running plays. Maybe they're not lining up and blocking somebody. But camaraderie, being locked in and competing and sticking together and having a certain energy and synergy around the team, any coach will tell you every team that was good that they had had a certain energy. That really can't be explained because every coach, if they knew how to duplicate it, they would duplicate it on a year-in and year-out basis. No, But when you leave, when people leave and other people come in, it changes the DNA. It changes the chemistry of the team. And this chemistry right now, this coaching staff, with everybody included, I think that there's a bunker mentality yeah. being formed with this team. And when you're in a bunker, Sean, you want to know you're in a bunker with people that are going to battle. Hey, when we make our decision yeah. to come out of this and fight our way out of this, I know you yeah. got my back. I know you're going to be on board with, hey, we're going right. We got to go right. We got to do this together, man. We can't all run around doing our own thing or we're going to get picked off one by one, right? Right. And 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 I do, I you know, I, I look at this and I say one positive for me, and again, there's different ways to be successful. So when I say these things are different, it's not saying the previous way sucked and the new way is great. It's it's different and it's it's a thing it's how does it mesh together with everything and i think the the way that jared parker coaches and and the way that we anticipate him interacting with players again demanding and hard but mm-hmm. just different i think that's going to fit with the way marcus freeman wants players to be coached to be completely honest with you yeah. and, and 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 i think that's going to be true at a couple positions and it's again not better not worse it's just different and that's all those little things that kind of go into I have a philosophy that of of what I'm trying to build here. We don't know if it's going to work or not. We'll find that out with Coach Freeman. But he he he's getting more and more people on staff. They're going to coach the way that he wants to coach. Absolutely. And 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 I think that's a matter again, not better, not worse. Just this is the way that I want it. And I think that's going to impact the offense too. And and honestly, Sean, I think the offense for a lot of reasons. It, it, it was not a. It was the offense has not been a confident unit for years. I, I thought it was a, a relatively yeah. confident unit in 2020, but it was a very veteran unit. I think Robert talked about that. You know, he thought that, that 2020 was the best team that they had. Yeah, I would disagree with him. I think part I, of it I, was, I figured you would. Part of it was well, you, you played nobody. You know, yeah. I mean, and 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 you know, so you dominated some bad teams. But I think the thing about it though is part of the reason I think they think that. Mm-hmm. Is because of they had a bunker mentality because of everything that happened that off season with yeah. is the season going to be canceled? What's our schedule going to look like? Those kids had to rally together, yeah, and come together and say, "Hey, we're all working towards one goal." Because otherwise, you don't serve. And that's one thing we gave Brian Kelly a ton of credit for at the time was to manage the way that that season went down and keep that team together was one of the best coaching jobs Brian Kelly did during his tenure at Notre Dame because of all the stuff that was happening that was outside of his and the team's control. And I think they had that bunker mentality that you're referring to, Sean. Yeah. And and I think that matters. But the way that I think they're going to be coached is going to be one that's geared more towards we've got to build up their confidence. And it doesn't mean that you're not demanding. It doesn't mean you don't set high expectations. It just means there are certain things that are a little more important than we've got to make sure that this is we're running this concept or that concept, the other concept. And I think that's something that we're going to see as well. So that part's going to be a positive. Now, will these coaches be able to teach technique as well as some of the others? Will the scheme be as good? I, that that I don't know. We'll right. have to find that out. 
But I do think at the foundation level, foundational level, this is a positive for this offensive staff is you now have a bunch of coaches that are going to be more on board with the way Marcus Freeman wants to do things. And now there's not that power struggle that was that was part of the program last year. And I would argue at no fault of any of the coaches, it's just right. it was a dynamic that was created on the outside. Because mm-hmm. every time I say this, people think I'm taking a shot at Tommy Reese. I'm not. There is a power struggle that was created externally that I think hindered that group last year. And that's gone. There's no question who's in charge now. It's Marcus Freeman. And now the people being in charge are his his guys. And I think that's going to be important, Sean, when we look at the big picture. But I think yeah. you also – When was ahead. the last time Notre Dame had a top 10 offense? In, in what metric? Efficiency say, or scoring? Or... Efficiency, scoring. And yardage, I'll the take. Last, either, I'll take either three. I'll take. I'll, I'll take top ten in either category. I, I believe that to Charlie Weiss. I, I believe it was 05. I think is the last time that that was the case. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look this up. So, um, let me just. I because I, I can find that for you real quick. I know the 15 team ended up not being there in points. They were close for a while, but that kind of that fade down the stretch you know, kind of kept them out of that a, a little bit that year, Sean. But let me let me see where Notre Dame finished that year. 2019, they finished, I think, in the top, yeah, 13th in scoring. That was mm-hmm. the highest they've ever had. They averaged 36.8. Then they fired that offensive coordinator. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they ended up 34th in scoring in 2000 and, and 2015. So that, that team, like I said, they faded down the stretch. They were 32nd in 09. So let me look at the 09 Notre Dame team real quick. And they finished, uh, excuse me, not 09, sorry. The 06 team finished 16th in scoring. And the 2005 team finished 8th in scoring that year. So Notre Dame did, in fact, finish 8th in scoring uh, in that in that 2000 and, uh, 2008 season. And then I'm going to look real quick here, real quick, Sean, where they averaged in yards that year. Uh, just give me one second. So let's go. That's 05. So 05, Notre Dame ranked 10th in total offense. So 8th in scoring offense, 10th in total offense. And then the next year they fell down to 23rd in total offense and and, and fell out in in scoring as well. So, yeah, that's the last time that we've seen Notre Dame really ranked that high in total offense. So it's a long time. And I I don't necessarily think they have to necessarily be 10th uh, in the top 10, but I think I would say this, the closer you get to that, the better I'm going to feel about it. Yeah. That there's, there's no question about that. Cause like, and especially with points, like, I don't really care as much about yards because there's so many different metrics that go into yards. I mean, field position, if your average starting field position is, you know, is it the, like, I, I've said this before, I coached in the team, Muhlenberg college where we averaged, 40 points a game for most of the year right and and i think we ended the year around 40 we scored 10 points in the second round of the playoffs against uh uh, john carroll which took us down to like 38 but we averaged like 350 yards a game that year because our average starting field position was the 48 yard line yeah because our defense and special teams were so good i care more about points and yards per play. So for example, in 2015, the Notre Dame offense didn't finish anywhere close to the top 10 in, in, uh, in total offense. They finished, uh, let me see here that Notre Dame that year finished in yards per game. Let me find it. They finished 27th in yards per game. 
but they were sixth that year in yards per play. Okay. So I care more about the yards per play and about efficiency numbers. And I and I do know that Notre Dame has had some teams in the past that have had good efficiency numbers on offense, but I don't know if they were necessarily um, top ten. Like like 2020, they or 2021, they were 20th in offensive efficiency. Uh, they were 17th in 2020. So, you know, those are those are good numbers. And obviously those teams were were borderline playoff teams. They were 25 in 2019. Um, they were, let's see here, where were they in? They were 28th in 2018. So, I mean, so you're getting the point, Sean, that like they've had good offenses 12th in 2017, which is what I think the best Notre Dame team was. Uh, they just played a much tougher schedule. They ranked 12th in 2017. In, in offensive efficiency. So to me, and okay, so in 2015, for example, Sean, they ranked seventh in offensive efficiency. And so I think you look at a lot of factors of, of what keeps you down. So there's been a couple years here and there, but what have you and I always said the two best Notre Dame teams were the last 10 years, in our opinion? I think we both agreed on this. It was 17, or the two best Notre Dame offenses, excuse me in the last 10 years was 17 and 15. 15, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, those years we've also said, boy, if the defense was better or if this this was better, this team has a shot to be really special. Yeah. And so that's where this offense has to get to, right? And, and it's got to be explosive and it's got to be efficient. Now, can these coaches get them there? We're going to find out. But I will say this, the more and more I learn about these coaches, including coaches that I wasn't on board with, right? Like I'm, I was fine with Jared Parker being hired. I, I literally wrote an article after the Andy Ludwig fiasco saying Freeman just needs to say, screw this process and just promote Jared Parker because he, he thinks that he, you know, he needs to surround himself with people that he can trust. Now, do you think I wrote that article thinking that Jared Parker, some bum that can't coach football? No, it's, was he my first choice? No, but do I think he's a smart football coach that has a lot of tools that you look for when you're trying to promote an offensive coordinator? Yes, I do. Yeah. I even said then he needs to promote, he needs to go out and hire Gino Gadouli, somebody he knew. And then later that day we find out that, you know, that's exactly what he's going to do. And I said he needs to hire an offensive line coach that he has a connection with. Now, were there other offensive line coaches that I liked more than Joe Rudolph? Yes, there were. Did Marcus Freeman have connections with those other coaches? No, he did not. And so I understand why he made that hire. But the more we talk to people that I do respect, that I do know, that I do trust, yeah, you start saying, okay, I get more and more and more why he made those decisions. But the pressure's on him because he did – because the reality is, Sean, the perception is such of the way the process went down. And I know that Notre Dame fans, some Notre Dame fans don't see it this way because they're they're just like, whatever it happens that Notre Dame does, it's perfect, it's wonderful, it's great. And mm-hmm. if you say otherwise, you're a hater. That's fine, whatever. Recruits don't feel that way. Other coaches that may want to come to your program don't feel that way. Voters don't right. feel that A lot of people on the outside don't feel that way. And that perception matters. That it's that this whole process was flawed, and in a lot of ways it was. Yeah, but we're, with that past, you look at the coaches and you say, "I know this guy and respect this guy," and he tells me that my opinion of Joe Rudolph is is too 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 demand. It's too I'm I'm too critical of him. Mm-hmm. Well, that matters to me more than some dude on Twitter saying that to me, right? And and saying, "Hey, your your points are valid," but he or and this is what I've gotten mostly from coaches I know, Sean. Your points are valid on what the Wisconsin line looked like, but a big part of that was something that was going on here, here, and here that was outside of his control, or at least 
because he was being you know divided into this he was also doing this he was also doing that but if you just let that guy coach your line you're gonna like what you see so you listen to that and you hear that and if you respect people and you have to be open-minded enough to say okay i i see what you're saying i see some of what you're saying on film and so i feel better about it so that's the thing is you have to – I'm trying to have as open mind as possible with some of these hires, right? But the reality is, is Marcus Freeman got guys that he believes in, and that's the big key. And 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 I want to continue this conversation on into let's, – let's transition into the position aspects mm-hmm. of it, Sean. Yeah. And I'll let you respond first because I do think we need to start with the O-line mm-hmm. because I'm going to make – I'm going to make a statement, Sean, and I want you to to either destroy me or or tell me why I might be onto something here. Everybody knows my my affinity for Harry Heaston as an offensive line coach. And it's valid. It's justified. I don't know anyone that actually knows football that has a difference of opinion on this, right? Harry Heaston was one of the best offensive line coaches in the business. Nobody with, the, with that knows football feels any differently, in my opinion, or that I've ever seen voice that. I'm going to say this, however. The offensive line situation is better going into 2023 than it was going into 2022. And the biggest reason why is, no, I do not think Joe Rudolph is Harry Heastan. But because Harry Heastan came in and and, and re, just changed everything, mm-hmm. rebuilt it, that Joe Rudolph at his level is inheriting a much better situation than what Harry Heastan inherited. And if what people tell me about Joe Rudolph is correct, and I'm I'm – I'm going with what the people I respect are telling me. I'm giving them benefit out. I'm on. I'm now on board with Joe Rudolph being the O-line guy because of what all these people. There's just too many people that I respect telling me that I need to rethink my point of view for me to ignore it. Yeah, There just is, right? right? And, and that includes Malik, but there's a lot of other people in the coaching world that are telling me that. So I'm on board now. I'm giving them benefit of the doubt. But if, if they're right about him, and you look at the, the the foundation that he's inheriting and how yeah. much better it is than the complete overhaul that Harry Heaston had to do a year ago. I think the offensive line room today is in a much better position going into 23 than it was into 22. And I think that's where the foundation has to start, Sean. Well, so you're, not tearing, you're, not, you're not tearing anything down. Yeah, Harry Heaston right. came in, and I think he gave pause to Joe Alton Blake Fisher because he understood, wait a minute, hold on. I know you guys are ready to make them all Americans, but there's some things I need to tear down or improve upon before they start moving forward and getting better. And there were some other things going on that we were questioning whether or not he would actually blend with Blake Fisher. And that ended up being a positive that Blake Fisher did take to his style of coaching, you know? So, for me, they're in a much better place because of something that was pointed out by one of their top O-line recruits in the 23 class, which is on his visit in April, he said, look, Harry, he's saying coaches the backups just as hard as he coaches the starters. And he said, I didn't see that everywhere that I went on a visit. So for me, Joe Rudolph is walking into a room not only with three established starters and two All-American tackles, He's walking into a room where the backups have a sound foundation. So now the competition and the depth in that room should be pretty amazing for Joe Rudolph. And those tackles you talked about, Sean, real quick, those tackles you talked about, build on this too, please. They weren't those guys a year ago. No, They were built into that. Yeah, and that's why Harry told us to pause when we were trying to say, yeah, they're going to be all Americans as sophomores. Joe Alt 
you know, he played very well. Blake Fisher, a little inconsistent early, got much better down the stretch and started to form into the guy, the dominant run blocker and pass blocker that we think he can be. But with all of that, I think big picture, the room is a much better place than it was when Harry took over for Jeff Quinn just this time over a year ago. And from a recruiting standpoint, I think they're in a better place as well than they were uh, just a year well, just a year ago. I think Harry put them back on the right path from a recruiting standpoint with the guys he got in the 23 class, even though he lost some guys for several, one ridiculous reason, and then another reason, a guy just decided to transfer and stay closer to home, which is what he wanted to do in the first place. With all of that being said, there's so much talent and depth in this offensive line room. And Joe Rudolph coming in, having two positions to fill, has versatility. And that, for him, he comes in saying, look, I get to allow these kids to compete, and then I get to choose how I want to use these guys. And like you said, we talked to Robert Haynes yesterday. He talked about how important it was for him to come in as an early enrollee, and that's the only way he was able to play week one against Temple. It's the same thing with Joe Rudolph. Maybe not early enrollees, but having these guys go through a Harry Heatstand system and going through that same thing with Matt Bayless building towards that system for another offseason. By the time he gets his hands on them, they should be pretty sound and fundamental. And now you can go and work and let these guys build on that. This offensive line should be pretty good. I mean, we can sit up here and play musical chairs with names to see who's going to play left guard, who's going to play right guard. Does Zeke Carell stay at center? Do they move him to guard? It's going to be very interesting to see how this thing shakes out. But, yeah, Joe Rudolph is in a very advantageous situation as an offensive line coach. It's not too many offensive line rooms I would rather walk in than the one Notre Dame has. Well, another thing, too, that from what we what you and I broke the other night, Sean, is one of the things that came screaming through to the players during their meeting with Joe Rudolph is the things he believes in and the things he teaches are are very, very – I mean, every coach has – there's no coach that's exactly the same way another coach would. Yeah. I don't care if you were coaching that guy for 10 – if Chris Watt – if Harry Heastan doesn't leave this year and he coaches two more years and Chris Watt serves under him and then Chris Watt takes over, Chris Watt will teach a lot of things similarly, but he's still going to do it his way. way. Yeah. So, but when you hear the players being fired up about the fact that what Rudolph believes in the foundation, the way he teaches and all those type of things is makes them think, Hey, that's just like Harry. That's that matters. And so that adds to the continent. It's a different voice and there's going to be certain drills that are done a little bit differently and all that kind of stuff. But the, the foundation is going to be strong. So, so again, he's not, the concern is if you bring in a guy, and this was one of my biggest concerns with Joe Rudolph, is looking at the offense, I was concerned about with how much pin and pull they do that mm. you'd have to kind of start over a little bit. And then you go back and you really dive into the film and, and you see in past years, they did a lot more mid-zone, a lot more, they did more duo. They did more things that fits in with what they're trying to do. That matters because I don't want, to just completely redo the offensive line again. Like when Harry came in the first time, part of the task was you got to redo what we were doing. They were a pin and pull team. And he, and Kelly wanted to be more of an, a downhill inside and outside zone counter power type of not power scheme, but power philosophy type of team, which they weren't under Ed Warner. Now Ed Warner did some nice things, but it was just a different philosophy. Yeah. 
And so Harry, Coach Eastan was brought in to, to overhaul and completely change that. And I didn't want that to happen with a new offensive line coach. It's kind of like, dude, don't F this up. It was kind right. of the mentality. And, and you know, that's what Joe Rudolph is being tasked to do. So I'm going to go out on a limb and start right there, Sean, and say that that the offensive line is in a better situation now than it was a year ago. Now we could yeah. debate, is it would it have been better if he stand would have stayed? That It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's about comparing it to last year, and is the offensive line still projecting in a positive direction with this hire? And I, it's hard for me to say it isn't, especially since the fact that the one thing we all do agree on with Joe Rudolph, he's going to be a really good recruiter. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So that that is his record wherever he's been. Right, he can recruit the position, and I'll right. tell you what, it, it's very similar. And some people might say it might be apples to oranges, but I'll dig out what I want to dig out from the situation. It's almost like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were going to be great shooters. It didn't matter if Mark Jackson was coaching them or Steve Kerr. It didn't matter. They were going to be great shooters, all-time great shooters in the history of the NBA, right? Maybe Steve Kerr just unlocked certain potential things schematically that he gained from working with great coaches like Greg Popovich or Phil Jackson. Okay, maybe he gave them that motion and movement, all right? Who's to say Joe Rudolph can't come in and give certain things that are beneficial by identifying the talent that he has? What if he has some really good athletic guards like Shroud and Christophic as a combination? Like, man, these guys can really move their feet. I got to do some pin and pull. I got to get, I got to pull them. I got to use their athleticism. In some way, form, or fashion. It might not be exactly what we're going to do as far as who we are, but every now and then I'm going to take advantage of what they can do as a wrinkle. And we talked about those wrinkles. So, you know, you have to be excited because you know you have an experienced coach, right? You he, he's going to identify the talent that he has. He he's gonna watch film from last year, he's gonna watch Clemson and say, Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. I got something to work with here. I don't know what I did to the football gods to deserve going from where I was and went well, Virginia Tech to this. But thank exactly. You. But thank, thank you. you. So, look, you know, there is, I think, going back to what you talked about, the offensive efficiency, the points per game, and the play, yards per play. This offensive line is going to be more impactful, in my opinion, with Notre Dame's offensive efficiency this season. I think they're going to give Jared Parker a comfort zone to be able to ease himself into the schedule and ease himself up to the big games to be able to then kind of expand and do a lot of things as they go throughout the season. I think Notre Dame is going to come out and just overwhelm people early on. I really do. Just from a talent standpoint, offensive line standpoint, running back standpoint, that's just going to come at you in waves. In waves, and that's the pressure to me, Sean. That's on Joe Rudolph. Is that right mm -hmm. there? Yeah. Is is Marcus Freeman needs to be right about him because if this team is going to reach its potential, that's exactly what they need to do. Yeah, like from jump. And now the the nice thing that this line will have that last year's line didn't have it's a bit of a warm-up right where last year's line you're trying to overcome what jeff quinn had built mm -hmm. tore down 
and you're trying to rebuild it, and you've got to do it in week one against Ohio State, in week two against Marshall's pretty good, you know, pretty good uh, defensive football team last year, team that won, won like nine or ten games last year. Yeah. Now again, they should have been much better than they were. This isn't that's not the argument I'm trying to have, but I'm making the point that like they were able to work through their they'll be able to work through their growing pains, and every team has growing pains come out to start a season. They're going to be able to work through their growing pains mm-hmm. against a completely different type of team. And, and I think that matters. And it's also ironic, I feel, that like one of the guys we're talking about, like Billy Shrouth, who we expect to be a starter, is now going to be coached by a guy that recruited him. The previous Notre Dame coach didn't recruit him mm-hmm. uh, as far as the offensive line coach. So I think that's an interesting dynamic as well. But he needs to; they need to be right on that because they need the offensive line to play that way. But here's the other part of it. If the offensive line plays great, Notre Dame's going to be pretty good this year. Yeah. But I don't care about pretty good. This is Notre Dame. We're, we're, this is a place where you talk about championships, right, and competing for championships. Yeah. Now you dive into quarterback, and and I think that we're just talking quarterback. Period. Not offensive coordinator. Just quarterback. This is going to be an interesting one as well because there's two dynamics here at play. Number one is you have a much better room than you did a year ago. With all due respect to Drew Pine, Steve Angeli. You, you you're walking in a room where you now have Sam Hartman, Tyler Buckner, at the top of the depth chart, not Tyler Buckner, an unproven Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. And then number three is a, a true freshman, Steve Angeli. Mm-hmm. Now it's Sam Hartman, Tyler Buckner and a year two Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie, where last year your number four was Ron Paulus, the third. And now it's Kenny Minchie. There's no area on the four. That's a bigger difference in talent than at four. With Kenny Mitchie and Ron Paulus III, with all due respect. So to me, you the talent upgrade is enormous. But now you have a situation where you have a coach that's specifically geared towards coaching them up. Mm-hmm. I don't think that matters much to Sam Hartman. I think Sam Hartman needs to adjust his footwork in the pocket to get away from the slow mesh. But overall, I don't think it's a huge change for him. My question here is... Will this be a big improvement for Tyler Buckner? And the reason that I bring it up is all we really have to study Gino Gadouli as a coach is what he did with Desmond Ritter. That, that's the only quarterback he really brought in and developed yeah. over a four-year period. That's it. Yeah. And he was a really raw kid who was considered an athlete by 247, not even a quarterback, yeah. coming out of high school. He was ranked in the thousands, I believe, if I remember correctly. And and he and he turned him into this really raw kid into a a player that I, I I was never the biggest Desmond Ritter fan for a million reasons, but as a senior, he became a pretty good football player, yeah. and and a guy that was able to lead a team to the champ to the to the college football playoff, came into Notre Dame Stadium, played cool as a cucumber, and made some big money throws against Notre Dame, and and a guy that went from a very raw toolsy but raw player that was ranked as the number 1,657 player in the country. And he turned him into a college football playoff quarterback and a third-round draft pick who's now starting in the National Football League. Does that sound like anyone we know, Sean? A really toolsy, <laughs> raw kid that that needs to be taught how to use his feet correctly and be yeah. consistent with his throwing motion. Does that sound like anybody we know? <clears throat> Tyler Buckner? You mm-hmm. know, so uh, I think that's the guy that could ultimately benefit the most in regard to 
the Gino Gadul- the potential of Gino Gadulli is he has experience working with this type of quarterback where yes. Tom Reese, now Tom Reese loved Tyler Buckner. Yeah. But Tom Reese had no track record of being able to take that type of player and turning him into a really good player. Yeah. G- Coach Gadulli does. We we saw it. And you know, to me, that's um and, and that's now interesting. Now Tyler, Kenny, Steve. They all have the opportunity to go directly to someone and say, hey, can you watch film with me? And it's not pulling that coach away from his main priority. Right. Like, this is my job. This is why I'm here. Of course. Let's go watch film. We watch film all day, every day. Let's go. Let's do it. And that is the benefit. Seeing him, because Tyler will struggle sometimes in seeing things. I, I think we saw that with the pick six down on the goal line with the motion and what he should have seen and expected by watching the safety and where he should have gone with the ball. Those are things that will come not only with watching film, but reps as well. But on top of that, just cleaning up footwork. I, look, I don't know. Tyler Butler is a very confident young man. You don't come back from the things he came back from in that Gator Bowl unless you have confidence in yourself, regardless of what other people think about you. So with that type of gumption, if he can really grab hold to things and Gino Goduli can like improve step by step, because now that's really, I think Tyler will play. You will be a fool to have Tyler on the sideline and not have some type of package Agreed. on a week, week to week basis. Like, come on, you, you got to be, let's be smarter than that. You know, especially in short, the short distance, red zone, things of that nature. Absolutely, Tyler Buckner should play every week, every week. But on top of that, now he does not have the pressure of feeling like, man, I have to be the guy. I have right. to put this offense the on my way of the world on my shoulders. Now he can just go play. He can play, and by all means, young man, please stay healthy. Well, please and Sean, healthy. this is the first time Tyler Buckner's ever been doubted. I think that's the other interesting. I think that's a good dynamic, point. That's is- a good point. You know, his first two years, really, there was people that, oh, this guy's going to be this, and he's going to be great, and he's going to be phenomenal. He's going to do that. He's going to do all these other type of things. And, you know, like I remember, oh, you bench Jack Cohn for Tyler Buckner. Yeah. Remember that absurdity from year one? And, and uh, you know, Heisman Trophy. And, and, and look, the expectations were sky high for him last year and yeah. should have been with most people, not all people. Everyone's going to have their, their doubters and haters and stuff like that and, and legitimate critics. But it, there's always been a level of optimism around Tyler Buckner. Well, now a lot of that's gone, Un, unjustifiably so, in my opinion. There's a lot of negativity around him. Well, he can't pass. He can't do this. Can't do that. He turns the ball over too much. And some of that's fair, and some of it's not. And so there's never been this kind of adversity for Tyler Buckner. And I think it's this is why I say if 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 Tyler Buckner stays at Notre Dame and finishes career at Notre Dame. I think you're going to look at this period as the thing that changed his future, in my view, because yeah. he he was finally taking out of the savior role mm-hmm. and put into, hey man, let's let's take a step back and develop this thing a little bit. Let's get you sound. Let's get you fundamentally sound. Let's get you. Let's work on it. And that's something I think Coach Reese started to work on uh, when he got back late in the year. They started working on the footwork and some things like that, and. And so you saw Tyler make some throws in that game that he was missing earlier in the season because there there were Definitely. those improvements, right? Yeah. 
And and so now you get to continue to build on that. But in, like, as you said, Sean, in an even more direct way. So even if you're someone who thought Tom Reese was a great, great quarterbacks coach, and, and I'm a lot higher on Tom Reese as a coordinator than I am as a quarterbacks coach at this point in time. That's okay. fair. Those are two different things. Yeah. And so to me, Gino, Gino's track record to me is good. I mean, but again, we're, we're working off what he did with one guy. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, fair or unfair, but the, the point is that one guy has a lot more in common with Tyler Buckner than what Drew Pine has or Sam Hartman has or whatever in regard to what are the needs to get him to that next level. And so when I look at it, Sean, I think that's a big plus for me. So, so talent in the room and, and having a quarterback's coach that's that, that I think is going to be able to enhance the technical part of it mm-hmm. is to me where I think quarterback is in a much better place now than it was a year ago yeah. is, is the talent alone puts it in a great spot. I mean, Gino Goodulli would have to be a bum of a coach to not get this right in two, uh, 2023 in my opinion. And I don't think that's true. You know, I, he has a very good reputation in this business. So very, yeah. very, I'd say just, just looking at it from a quarterback's coaching and a quarterback depth chart standpoint, it's hard for me to say that's not an upgrade. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we saw his quarterback and, he, and, and, and Tommy Reese's quarterback go head to head a year ago and whose quarterback made more <laughs> plays. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and honestly, I I thought the Cincinnati offense in the third quarter took their foot off the gas. Yes, honestly, like I think after that out, fumble, yeah, yeah, after that fumble that Notre Dame ran back, yeah, I think Cincinnati said we're not going to put them in position where their defense can make a. We know their offense can't score on us, right? We're not going to put them in a position where their defense can make another play and set us up. Which was crazy because they the took the first first series Notre Dame and went right down the field. And then that interception just, yeah. The interception just zapped everything. Yeah. But that goes to show you what we said earlier. Your offense has to be, if the defense is the jab in this heavyweight fight against good teams from Notre Dame, then, man, you got to have something else. You have to have a hook or something to really stun the other teams and make them take a step back and not be so confident to just come in and be aggressive, to say, okay, like, whoa. And it's been the defense the majority of the time in games where teams have say, okay, we're not going to allow their defense or this year against USC, we're not about to allow their special teams to have an impact on this game. Right. They're just not. We're going to pooch kick. We're going to keep our offense on the field. Their special teams is, the, is really the only thing we're worried about that can really change the tide of this game. And the one team that went against Notre Dame that thought they had special teams that could match Notre Dame's ended up getting burned. Mm-hmm. Worked out well for them early with the early fit, yeah. punt, touchdown, all that. But they yeah. they they caught it the next rest of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about the fake the fake that went for big. The fact that they got two flipping delay game penalties because they were so panicked over Notre Dame's pump block situation. So yes, even that one team that thought no no we can go toe to toe with them on special teams. By the second half of that game, I was like, yeah, that's probably not smart. <laughs> but, right. But, like, the point is, though, Sean, to your point, is you've got to have something else that teams fear. Yeah. Yeah. And last year, Notre Dame didn't have that on either side of the ball. No. 
Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner, from a talent standpoint, give them two quarterbacks capable of being that. Can they be coached up and prepared well? That's the question we're going to find out. But I, I think from what we know of Gino, from what I've heard for, about Coach Gadouli, from other people, from what you've heard about Coach Gadouli, from people in the business, I think that part's going to be an upgrade as well. Yeah. I do. And and those to me right there, Sean, are, are the two big things for me that look I, – I look at this and I say, man, it, though, they can't be great without that. They can't. They can't. And they're going to need to be great to get there. And and that's the pressure that's on Coach Goodell. Because it, it's interesting is, you know, the two new hires on offense, the only two new hires on offense, are literally coaching the two positions that hold Notre Dame's championship dreams it in their hands. Yeah, and that's what makes hands. it so interesting. Yeah. Quarterback and offensive line. They can't mm-hmm. compete with that. Right. I do think there's some other positions that, that, that I look at and say, the one position where I think Notre Dame's going to take a downgrade next year and, and and it doesn't matter if John Mackey was reborn and <laughs> and and was coaching the Notre Dame tight ends. When you lose Michael Mayer, you're not going to be as good next year. No, it's not. So uh, you know, and then you wonder, okay, well, if 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 Coach Parker is also the OC, does that kind of take away a little bit? Those are so that's where the GA role is going to be important. But it's a lot easier to have an OC that is the tight ends coach than it is the quarterbacks coach because I'd much, I'd have a lot more faith in the OC coaching tight ends or receivers than the other way around. And I've said this before. One of the things that helped that 2015 offense is Mike Denbrock was the receivers coach, but he had cat on that team, a G on that team named Ryan Mahaffey, who I thought did a great job mm-hmm. with the receivers that year. And, and was, I mean, like, like that guy's going to be a really good football coach. Well, he ends up, leaving to go to Western Kentucky. Then he becomes the offensive coordinator at Northern Iowa like two years later. He's now an, an assistant offensive line coach with, the, I think, the Packers now, yeah. right? So, you know, he's he's gone up because I think he was he was a really sharp coach. Well, they and really that have helped. that offensive line type under the umbrella, right? Because you point out Jared Parker being able to coach them. But, heck, Joe Rudolph coached tight ends. Well, that was going to be my other point too, Sean, is – Tight end is much easier to say, hey, for during this period, I need you guys to go work with the offensive line. Right. During this right. period, I need Holden Stace and I need this guy to go over here and work with Coach with Stucky the and the receivers. Yes. Right. Well, you can't do that with the quarterbacks, really. No. You know, I mean, and, and if you want them to still get coached up. So, because the receivers coach could take the quarterbacks, the running backs coach could take the quarterbacks, and we're going to work on handoff drills. But Dylan McCall is not getting under there and teaching the technique of the quarterbacks. <laughs> Chancey Stucky, maybe Chancey Stucky could. But, but it's just it's a different he's not teaching what he knows he'd have to step outside of what he's hired to do. Whereas Chancey Stucky teaching the tight ends on the proper way to attack the leverage of a safety playing off the hash is going to be no different than what he's teaching his receivers. Absolutely. You know, all those things there's carryover. Uh, Jeff Joe Rudolph teaching the tight ends on the proper footwork on a reach block against a, a, a wide uh, against a nine technique or against a the linebacker walked up is going to be the same exact thing he's teaching to his t- tackles on that aspect. That's what's unique. And so that's where you're it's a it's I'd rather have an OC doing that than trying to coach the whole offensive line or coach even to you know I personally like the quarterback dynamic because that's yeah. what I did. But in this instance I think that they needed someone in this particular instance they it, it not that they needed. They're going to benefit from having a guy directed right at them. Absolutely. And maybe not Sam, Sam Hartman as much as Buckner and Minchie to me, it's going to be key. 
So that's an interesting dynamic to it, Sean. You know, receiver. Which area, do, which area do you think the quarterback will impact the most? Efficiency, points per game, or uh, yards per play? Well, I think it's the efficiency part is the foundation of all of that. And then that will lead to greater yards per play, which will then lead to more points. It's kind of how I think that builds. Like, give me a, a group that's more efficient. Mm-hmm. That's going to lead to more explosives in my view, because it, what it, there's several ways. Number one is a more efficient offense. You're, you're usually a more fundamentally sound offense. Mm-hmm. You're more consistent in how you go about your business every, every play, which means the times that the opponent makes mistakes, you're in better position to take, take advantage of that. For example, yeah. there was once or twice a game last year, Notre Dame's opponent would blow coverage and you and I would see it. <laughs> and they just, they wouldn't take advantage of the quarterback. Wasn't, able yeah. or willing to to make that play yeah that's not gonna be the case this year you're gonna have a quarterback that can do that so i expect and and you're gonna have a more dynamic receiving core you know lorenzo styles is gonna be a junior now tobias mm-hmm. merriweather's going into year two I, I made my prediction on him the other day i think he's gonna be the guy that we're all talking about i said that on what, tuesday night monday night was a monday night or tuesday night that we had that show but the tuesday, tuesday night, night tuesday night so I look at it there, Sean, and, and I say the explosives I expect to be there because mm-hmm. all your dudes are back, right? And and they're a year older and 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 all that, but it's the efficiency that's the problem because efficiency also leads to more second and twos, yeah, more third and one situations where you can take more chances to create the explosives. So that's why I always mention when I say efficient and explosive offense, I always say it in that order for a reason. Because I think the efficiency part has to come first. Yeah. And and that's where, you know, how you prepare every single day and and just your mentality, your confidence, the consistency with which you go about your business is so important. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that made that's what made Harry Heastan such a great line coach was you knew what you were going to do every day. You knew what was important that day, every single day. Yeah. You know, you hear similar things about Joe Rudolph. That's a positive, right? They got to know every single day this matters. There can be no day off for proper footwork. There can be no day off for proper technique. There can be no day off for toughness. There can be no day off for hard work. There can be no no day off for giving you everything I got. Maybe there can be days off from we're not going to run you as much, days off where we're not going to run as many plays, days off we're going to pull the reins back on the tempo of today's practice. All that stuff we can change from day to day depending on what the needs are. But the focus, the footwork, the technique, the toughness, that has to be just who you are, Right. And so to me, I look at it that way, Sean, and say, is if they can get that out of this offense, the talent is there. Yeah. Is this a coaching staff capable of getting it there? And I think that this is a coaching staff that is is not going to have a lot of egos in it from that standpoint of it's got to be my way type of thing. I think you're going to have a much better, uh, hey, this guy, that guy might have an idea. Let's see if we can make that work. I think that's important because you have a lot of smart guys in the room. And I think that's – I mean, you have three guys that have called plays – or been mm-hmm. coordinators before yeah, on the offense this year. So uh, I think, I think that's going to be something that's very important. So, you know, receiver, I expect it to be better, Sean. I think that's a given, <laughs> you know, coach Stuckey getting the same guys in year two. They're deeper now because of the freshmen. Yeah. The question is, is Jared Parker going to run the offense in a way that makes it more conducive for freshmen and young guys to play. That's remains to be seen. I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic. It's going to be the case. And then the running back room is is I was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine 
And I was telling him like, yo, I think you're, I think you're off on the running back room. I'm telling you, this is going to be the best one, one of the best running back rooms of college football, in my opinion. And so th- those parts are, were, were feel good about Sean. And so this is a bit of a hot take, but I, I really believe that the Notre Dame offense is, is in much, much better shape now than it was a year ago for a host of reasons, some of which yeah. is because of the new coaches mm-hmm. and some of which is, is the foundation that was laid by coaches who are no longer here. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Look, you talk about the running backs. I think we've seen, and I remember going to spring practice and saying to myself, like, yo, this big kid has some really great feet. And I remember the first few practices, I kept saying that. I kept saying that. And you're like, really? I'm like, yeah, Aldrich Estime, as big as he is, his feet are really good for his size. And then you see him go on throughout the season, and he's gotten so much better. But I want to point out, I think the improvement we saw from Logan Diggs this past season as a running back. Logan Diggs became a tough, don't go down after the first contact, get extra yardage. Every down running back. I mean, there were times where he they they he was a workhorse in a couple of games when they needed him to be. And he just did his thing. And just the love that they have for each other in that room. And they push each other and they want each other to be the best. Like, man, that's what I'm talking about, that synergy. Like, you can un- you can go get talent. That's fine. But you have the synergy in that room along with the talent. And then the young talent they have, like, we don't know. No one knows how Jadarian Price is going to recover from what most would say is a pretty significant leg injury. Especially it still has a little bit more, can have more lingering effects than, other, than a torn ACL. Absolutely. But he is in a position where he does not have to come in and be rushed. And you can bring him back at, his, at the rate he needs to come back at. And then Jeremiah Love, I, I, man, look, I promise you, <laughs> the first rep he goes through when he gets to campus, coaches are going to be like, okay. That looks different. Yep, that's different. Because it's not just fast, but it's 6-1 fast. Absolutely. Here's, here's going to be the interesting dynamic that I'm curious to see this year, Sean. And this has to do with Dylan McCullough and Jared Parker. We know what, what Logan and Audra can do. And, and to your point, you talk about being a workhorse. Yeah. In the last seven games of the year, 
Logan had 28, 20, 17, 13, 15, 12, and 13 carries mm-hmm. in those games. If you look at his total touches in those games, uh, let me see here, all purpose right here. So if, if you look at those, it's it's what, 28, 20, 20, 17, 13, 16, 15, and 15 in total touches. That's workhorse numbers in today's era, right? It, it just it just is. And, you know, you talk about the game against UNLV where they're coming back from a loss to Stanford. Audric Estime fumbles again. He gets benched. Mm-hmm. And Logan goes out there and carries the ball 28 times for 130 yards. Yeah. And then comes back the next week and carries the ball 20 times. And then comes back the next week against Clemson and carries the ball 17 times. And there was, there was, you talk about, you know, showing a level of physicality that he didn't necessarily show early in the year. I think a lot of that had to do with his get, gaining more confidence in his shoulder. His shoulder. Yeah. Which is what we talk. I mean, there was the play against, I think it was Marshall, where he's to the right of a blitzer. So the blitzer's coming through. No, no. He's to the left of a blitzer. Now, hold on. His left arm was hurt. Okay. So no, he was to the right of a blitzer. And that guy's coming in. Now you're going to step with that lead arm to block him. He turned his shoulder and tried to throw his other shoulder into the guy and yeah. whiffed. Yeah. Like that's a dude that's not confident in the injured shoulder. And we said they need to take him out until he's better. He misses right. the next week with an illness and then comes back the next week uh, uh, showing some different things. And then a month later, it's like, that's just a different dude. And now, what I what had me so hyped up on this kid and had me ranking him as high as I ranked him coming into high school, yeah, which is a borderline top hundred recruit. You're seeing it now, yeah, and and then you throw in Audric and his ability to bounce back. That's one thing I th- that I loved about what Coach McCullough did last year is to get those kids to buy into their roles and to bounce back from adversity. Audric yeah. estimate could have easily quit on himself in the team last year with with, mm-hmm. the, with the fumble issues, and then because he had a big fumble against North Carolina, he had a big fumble against Stanford. And then he comes out against UNLV and puts it on the ground again. And you're like, okay, this this could this is just you can't do this anymore. And then he bounces back the next week, plays great against Syracuse, plays great against Clemson. You know, but then also Logan to come back from the shoulder injury and his early season struggles to get Chris Tyree to buy into a role that you and I both know Chris Tyree wasn't happy about, but he right. bought in because he, mm-hmm. he was, you know, that team mentality. But the thing that 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 I look at this and say, okay, this is all fine and dandy. Here's the reality of it. I love Aldrich and Logan, but the test for Dylan McCullough and Jared Parker is behind those two workhorses who are very good. You got three straight home run hitters. How are you going to use them? How are you going to build them into what you're doing on a daily basis? That is going to be a big test for me. And I'm very, very curious, Sean, to kind of see how he how he learns to do that or not. That's going to be something that I'm very curious about because how well he does that is ultimately going to determine just how good this offense will or won't be. Is that uh, philosophical? Know, it is. Or is that it just is. like playmaking and calling plays at the right time? Because we talk it's, about it's, all the time how Lou would just pound you with Rodney Culver. Tony Brooks, Ricky Waters early in the game and just wear you out and then would we'll just go pitch left, pitch right with right. Rocket in the fourth quarter. And your yeah, linebacker. Lucy Moji just- used to talk about that all the time. He would wear him down and then put Rocket in there. And now all of a sudden Rocket's 4-2-5 turns into 4-1-5 because you're tired <laughs> right. and he's fresh. You're tired and he's fresh. 
it's it's philosophical. See, I, I'm a believer that philosophy always leads to play calling. Mm-hmm. And that's what I say that that has to be there first. What you believe in should lead to what you call. Why am I calling this play on third and one? Because I believe that the that, that this is who we are. And then what we have scouted has led to me in a conviction that this is where we need to go with at that time. It's not looking at your shield like, hmm, what do I think is going to work here? No, your philosophy leads you to the level of preparation that leads you to where you know exactly what we're doing in this third and one situation because we've practiced it, we've repped it, we've taught it, and this is what we're going with. And it's that conviction. You know, Sean, there were times if you go back and watch Lou Holter where everybody knew what was coming <laughs> and they still couldn't stop it. Now, was it just that Notre Dame players were just that much better? It's part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's also the players had a conviction that if we do this the way the coaches taught us to do it, nobody can stop us. Yeah. And that comes from philosophy, whether it's throwing the football, running the football, situational football, whatever the case may be. There has to be a foundational uh, level of confidence in yourself, but also in, in what you're being taught to do. Yeah. And that's partly what led to Harry Hill, Harry Heastan's brilliance is it wasn't just that he's a great offensive line coach. He knew how to get buy in. And this is what we said on Tuesday night was so important about how that interview went with Joe Rudolph, because coming out of that meeting, Joe Rudolph is now going to show up on campus with buy in. Yeah. Why did the players buy into Harry? He stand because the veterans knew him and they knew the legacy that he had established. It was an, it was an easy thing to do. It's going to be harder with Joe, Joe Rudolph because he doesn't have that established reputation with this group and at this school. So it was important that in that meeting that he had with the players that they came out of it with a, buy-in because that's the step that's the that's the very step foundational step that if and this is something i think hurt al washington last year i don't think there was buy-in the level of buy-in you Mm. need with older players yeah and if the older players aren't bought in it's going to be a little harder for the younger players to completely be bought in and and you're just not going to be as effective as a coach as you need to be yeah i'm curious to see now in year two now that some of those guys that maybe they butted heads with are not there anymore, yeah. is there more buy-in? Is the buy-in lead to more conviction that this move is going to work against this guy as opposed to, well, I'm going to do this because coach told me to, but I know it's not going to work. Well, it's definitely not going to work now. Yeah. You know, and I think that's an important aspect of this. And, and that's that's also the key for for Jared Parker is can you get buy-in? Yeah. Can your players believe that, hey, look, whatever situation we get in, I have faith in Coach Parker that he's going to put me in a position to be successful. Look, you're seeing it in this pettiness going on on Twitter. First of all, players, get off freaking Twitter ripping your coaches. You know dang well you'd be crying and bitching and moaning if coaches were saying things publicly about you. About the way you. That you're saying about, about, about right? Yeah. So, hey, there we go. But like this whole thing like with, uh, with uh, C.J. Johnson Gardner and his how about you put us in bed, that to me is a player that doesn't have faith in his coach, right. which is going to lead to you making a mistake as a player, mm-hmm. right? Like with all due respect, that guy, to, those guys for the Chiefs don't get that wide open just because the scheme. <laughs> right. It's also you not buying into, you thinking you know what you're going to do here and doing yeah. what you're going to do. There has to be a level of buy-in to where I don't care what, the situation calls. I have no opinion on the matter because I have I believe my coach, and he says on this third this third down pass rush against this tackle when he sets this way, I got to hit him with this. And if you believe in that and you believe what you're taught, then you're going to hit him with that, and there's going to be conviction, and you're going to win. Yeah. And so I think that's going to be a big part, and that's that's where something from from everything I've been told from from my sources within the team and people that used to be part of the team and all and 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 coaches and different people that I know, I think that's going to be the biggest aspect of of what Jared Parker brings to the table is there's at least going to be buy-in 
Now he's got to do the job and he's got to scheme and he's got to have a, a, the right philosophy and he's got to have the right practice preparation, the right practice plans and, and all that kind of stuff. That's all going to be part of what, how we evaluate the level of success he will or will not have. But I don't think buy-in is going to be an issue. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons. And, and honestly, my, you know, I, I was, as, as people I knew and respected were talking to me about, you know, you need to think about this and maybe watch this film, watch that game, maybe consider this thing uh, in regard to Joe Rudolph. One of the things that, that really convinced me to say, okay, I'm ready to roll with this and see how it goes was what we reported Tuesday night is when players that, cause like there's this expression, right? Like, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And a lot of players don't really know what greatness is because they've never been around it. They, they don't know what, what it, it means to be a great player or a great worker or, or have a great coach because you only know what you've been around. With a Notre Dame offensive lineman, they've been around greatness. They've been around one of the best to ever do it. And, and so they can see when a guy's and, – and also one of the most straight shooting guys in the world, maybe some, you know, some people would say to a fault, but – you had a guy that this is just, he's going to give it to you how it is. And so the players have seen greatness. They know what, what championship level coaching looks like. They know what championship level preparation looks like because they were, they were around that this, this past year. So when you hear that those players who know what grace greatness looks like, that they, they listen to Joe Rudolph and they're like, yo, I'm on board with this. That tells me something. It's like, you know, when you, when you get into, you know, the the debates about who's the greatest at this, that, or the other thing, it's like, I'm going to listen to a guy that I know that went against that dude. It's like, Sean, we're seeing in the NBA right now, right? This knucklehead, J.J. Redick, just running his mouth off disrespectfully about things, right? Like, I don't respect what he has to say because he didn't live it, right? Like, I'm going to have more respect for the people that lived both eras and, and say, hey, look, you can say whatever you want and you have whatever you think, but here's what I know. Like, when you're not you can say whatever you want about attempts and makes and percentages, but here's the deal. You have, I'm going to count the number of guys on one hand that I'm giving the ball to with 10 seconds or less in the NBA game seven, the NBA finals to take a three. There's going to be uh, on one hand, the number of dudes I'd count that I would even consider having to take that shot other than Larry bird. It's like MJ Steph. And that's probably the list, you know, start taking a three. Uh, and MJ wasn't three point shooter, but I don't care where MJ shooting it from. He, you're giving him the ball in the last 10 seconds of the game. The point being is I'm listening to the people that saw it. They, they know what greatness looks like because they experienced it. They had to, I had to stop it. I know how good of a shooter he was. Cause I had to guard him. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so it's the same. And this is what I thing with the Notre Dame offensive lineman, they experienced what being pushed at the elite level, being coached at the elite level looks like. So when they're bought in after sitting down, talking ball with Joe Rudolph, then I'd be foolish not to say, okay, I'm bought in. Now I got to see it. Right. But I, I got, I, I, I've, they've seen it. And so there has to be a level of buy-in because I think at the end of the day, we've seen where there's not a ton of buy-in at some places. I don't think there's a lot of buy-in the, or at least the level of buy-in you need when it came to the defensive line last year. And I also think that's true when it comes to the, the way the defense as a whole was coached with some of the conversation I've had. I think sometimes players are like, eh, I don't think so. Right. Like, I don't, because there's no track record there of success and the way the season played out, 
had backed up that lack of track record of success. I don't think that's going to be the case in the offensive line, at least going into the spring. Now it's about up to Coach Rudolph and Coach Parker uh, to say, okay, now let's earn that. Let's let's take that respect that we're being given, that trust we're being given, and now really take it to the next level and earn it. And I think that's where we're going to find out this spring, Sean. It all sounds great now, all on board now, or it's 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 rainbows and sunshine now, right? It's got to be that way coming out of spring right now. But I do, I I can say I'm confident in saying that right now, I feel a lot better about where the offense is right now. Not what it could have been, but what it is. A lot more confident right now about this football team offensively from a coaching player combination standpoint than I was a year ago. Because remember, there's no chance he's stucky on this year's coaching staff. Meaning a guy that you're like, I have no clue if this guy can coach or not. Guy's been a coach for one year. I have no clue if he can coach or not. I have no idea. None. And and there's not that. I didn't know much about Jared Parker a year ago. We at least know what's being brought in now. And there's a lot better track record of it. And so I think that's where I say I feel a lot better, a lot better about where they are now than they were a year ago. And I don't know if I would have said that based on how this process started, to be completely honest with you, Sean. No, I totally agree with you. Like across the board, I don't think there's any area where you can definitively say, no, Notre Dame was not set to be better than they were in 2022. Everything is really set up for the offense to take a step forward. And I think it would have been that way because most people say, yeah, well, you know, that's because of Sam Hartman. No, if Tyler Buckner was the quarterback going into this season, I would think the offensive line and running backs, the wide receivers, every group we've talked about would be in position to be better in 2023 because I think Tyler Buckner would be in position to be better in 2023, you know, and Sam Hartman coming over only enhances what was already in the, in the works for 2023, in my opinion. So um, I think the offensive line is going to every, this is the thing. Everybody's going to make everybody better. I think the wide receivers are going to make Sam Hartman's job easier. I think Sam Hartman is going to make their job easier. I think he's going to impact the offensive line. I think the offensive line is definitely going to impact him. And I think they're going to impact the running backs. And I think the running backs, everybody's going to make life easier for everyone because everyone's going to take a step forward or they have, they're going to be in a position to take advantage of the talent and the coaching combination that's, that's there right now on the offensive side of the ball. So everyone should be ecstatic. Fan base should be ecstatic. I know. And that's why, you know, I took a step back as you did, you know, talking to people. And uh, talked to some people that covered the Big Ten. And they were like, yo, he's a fantastic coach. Talking about Joe Rudolph. Like, yo, he's a fantastic Line coach. coach. Yes. The, critici- the only criticism I ever heard about him from people in the business were, I wouldn't hire him as my offensive coordinator. Right. Right, but as a line coach, mm-hmm. yes, you're getting a you're getting dude. You're getting a dude. Yeah. Now, my concerns are still there because those concerns were what I saw on film. But there's also a lot of good on film too, right? And so uh, we'll have. Well, I was going to have that breakdown a little bit sooner, but obviously, like I said, I got a little bit sick yesterday. I still plan on doing that. I have it about halfway done, so I'll have some of that stuff here coming up here very you know, next couple of days. So, Sean, I don't know if I if I would 
I, I hear where you're coming from. For me, I don't know if I would say that they should be ecstatic. What I what I would say is 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 where I can only tell people to be where I am. I can't tell people to be tell people to be somewhere that I'm not. Where I am, I'm cautiously optimistic, and I grow more optimistic by the day. The more I learn and and talk and that kind of thing, I'm at the very least cautiously optimistic that this offense. Not that it's going to be good. I expect mm-hmm. that. That's ex- yeah. expectation. It's that it can take that next step. I'm cautiously optimistic. And all, I mean, it's not a secret, Sean. A week ago, I would not have. If you'd have told me this is what that this is would have been the hire a week ago, I'm like, oh, it's all right. Of course, but, yeah. you know, it, it's it's because like I said, everybody, everybody, we, we live in this era, Sean. It drives me nuts. Where if you're not on board with a guy and you don't think a guy's great, that means you think he sucks. And there's just like this, like narrow-brained people that just can't understand saying, "No, I think he's a good coach. I just don't think it's good enough." Yeah. Right? Well, no, he he, you you are a hater. Okay, whatever. You're an idiot. I don't have time to deal with that right now. Like I never said Joe Rudolph is a bad coach. Yeah. I said I don't know if he's a great fit. That was always my number one objection. Objection is they they ran a, a, an offense completely different at Wisconsin than the one that you're going to run at Notre Dame, run game wise. Is that going to be a fit or not? And then the other one was there were some things I saw in film that at times concerned me in the bigger games. That that's that's where I'm at. But I always said he was going to be a significant upgrade over the guy that you had before Harry Heastan. They made two playoff appearances with that guy as the offensive line coach. Two. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's more about is it good enough to be elite? That's the question because that's the standard. And when you look at it, you say, uh, you you look at what it was before Marcus Freeman was hired. Offensive line, significant upgrade. Significant yeah. upgrade over what it was before Marcus Freeman was hired. Wide receivers coach. We hoped it would be an upgrade a year ago. We now know it is definitely, definitely an upgrade. An upgrade. Now. And forget the recruiting part. Just as a coach, <laughs> significant upgrade. Yes, And then when you look at the recruiting aspect of it, also significant upgrade. Running back room, upgrade, which is saying a lot because I actually thought Lance Taylor did a pretty good job. And I think Dillon's come in and done an even better job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought John McNulty did a good job as the tight ends coach. Jared did just as good, if not better, in my view. Because I think at times Coach McNulty was still in that OC mind where Jared Parker embraced, I'm just the tight ends coach. And so I think that's a that's an upgrade over where it's been. And then coordinator, I mean, that's that's the debatable one, right? Like that's the one where some people are going to have an opinion one way or the other. But I would say the combination of Jared Parker and Gino Gadouli is better than just Tommy Reese when you look at the quarterback coordinator situation. Mm-hmm. That's where I would be. And I certainly feel better about Jared Parker now than I did when Tommy Reese was hired because he's a much more experienced, established coach, where Tommy Reese was a 27-year-old that was still like two years into his coaching career. And and so, to me, if you look at it now compared to where it was when Marcus Freeman was hired, it's hard for me to you know take a step back. Again, you have to be able to remove the process yeah. from the end result. Yeah. If, you wanna, if, you, if we wanted to have a show on the process, this, this <laughs> show would take a much different tone much different tone because the process sucked in a lot of ways, but take a step back from the process and look at the end result, right? What was the end result? Like Sean, if I came over to your house and said, I'm going to bake you a cake, 
right? And and I come in and you know, you go out and you come back in hours later and the, the kitchen is spotless. I've cleaned it and all that kind of stuff. Like, wow, this process was pretty good. Now let me evaluate the taste of the cake. Right. The other part could be you'd walk into your kitchen, you're like, Brian, what in the world happened in here? There's flour everywhere. That's a disaster. I got dishes piled up in my sink. Like, what what did you well, I baked your cake? Right. So the process is going to determine your feelings at that point in time. But once you taste the cake, Sean, it's like it's either good or it's not good. It doesn't matter what the process was like, right? And that's kind of where I'm at. And you know you're wanting me to bake your cake now, right? I can just see it. Like you're thinking about like this cake. And I, <laughs> no, I would love to see how, how wife, my how wife's the baker. Out. My wife's the what I would do is I'd come over, you'd leave, I'd sneak Angela in the back door, have her bake it for you. She's the baker. I'm the only thing I bake is just fresh. I make homemade bread. She's the baker. She's the cupcake cake person. Uh, so that's how it would go. But but the, the thing is, is we have to be able to remove ourselves from the pro, the 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 issues with the process, mm-hmm. which was flawed and just completely screwed up by the way Jack Swarbrick handled things. Right. Yeah. Remove yourself from that process and look at the end result. Yeah, And the end result is exactly what I wrote Marcus Freeman needed to do after that fiasco happened. He brought, he promoted Jared Parker to OC, which is what we asked him to do. He brought in Gino Gadulli as a quarterback's coach, which is what we asked him to do. And I'm saying he did it because we asked him to. Y'all understand yeah. that, right? Yeah. It was more about hire people you trust. These are the obvious candidates there. And then hire someone to coach the offensive line that you know, that you believe in, that, has, that, will, ha- that will buy into your vision. And that's exactly what he did. So yeah. take the process out, Sean. Yeah. Look at the end result, and the end result is this has a chance to be a pretty darn good offensive staff. It's got yeah. a, it's got a lot to prove. Yeah, it's got a lot to prove, but it has a chance to be a pretty darn good staff. It, it, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I was getting ready to go into um, little league. Right, I was going up from what they call minor league up to little league, and I told my dad I was like, "Yo, I need some new cleats. My feet grew. I was like, I want these Nike cleats." Gave it to him, told him where he could get it. Uh, he was like, okay, cool. And I'm waiting for him to show up with the cleats before my first game. And he shows up. And he has a nice box. And I open it up. And there's some pro wings from Payless. And I'm like, yo, like, what? what's this? And he's like, son, go play baseball. And I'm mad and I'm angry. And I go, I go three for three. Right. And I ended up having a great season. We ended up going to the all-star game, playing for state. And long story short, my dad was like, you played pretty good in those pro wings. Huh? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I learned my lesson. You know, and then I asked my grandmother at the start of the next season for the Nikes and ended up getting them. Like, I know. Yeah, I learned two lessons. Never ask you for the expensive stuff. And yes, it doesn't make a difference what I look like. Can I get the job done? Yeah. And, and this is and Notre Dame fans. Ultimately, doesn't matter. Right. I mean, emotionally, it may matter what the coaching staff looks like. If they can get the job done, no one cares at the end of the day. Yeah, we'll we'll look back at this this whole process and how disappointing it might have been, and everything that came from it, and we'll say, "Wow, Notre Dame went to the college football playoffs. Hartman was great. Tyler was great. They put up almost forty points a game." O-line was still good. O-line was good. We sent two O-linemen to the first round and NFL draft. Like, all of this is possible. Even with everything that happened, all of these things are possible 
a year from now. And so, you know, it's up to them. And like you said, I think this is a team that has that bunker mentality. That's what I'm ecstatic. My point is, I don't care what the coach staff looks like. I'm for just strictly from a player standpoint, I'm ecstatic about the offense. Just talent. Just yeah. talent. So you're, you're excited to see what it can be. I get Absolutely. you. I'm with you. That makes just sense. I'm, from the, from now that's I'm standpoint. now that and and from that clarification, Sean, 100 percent same page. Yeah. And that's the thing that you and I talked about. I don't know if we said it on the show or not, but you and I have talked about this. Like, I'm I'm looking forward to this process being over. <laughs> so we can get back to focusing on the, players, on the players, which the is the exciting part. Yes. That's what has us so optimistic. That's why these coaching hires matter. Yeah. Because it's like, dude, you got some players. You're it, it, you're in position to do something. Yeah. Don't screw it up. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I think that I've said before, if you have faith in Coach Freeman, then you look at these hires and say he knows these guys more better than indiv- personally more than you and I do. Now, yeah. that doesn't mean that he's always right because Brian Kelly knew Brian Van Gorder a lot more than I did, right? He knew Paul uh, Phil Long, which Paul Longo, a lot more than I did. He knew yeah. Brian Poe and Jeff Quinn a lot more than I did, and they were bad hires. So, but the point is the talent is there. That's the exciting part. Where I'm cautiously optimistic is we have seen talented teams get wasted in Notre Dame before. I watched Jalen yeah. S- Smith getting wasted for – well, really, two years. Two years. I don't. I don't think Diaco wasted him his freshman year. I mean, he used him <clears> well. <throat> put him at that. At that. Uh, was he? Was he the? He wasn't the dog. He was. He was uh, a will, right? No, he, he played play? like basically like the, the Diaco's version of a rover. Basically, okay. He played the spot that Danny Spawn played in 2012. Essentially, I can't remember if it was the dog. Remember the two out? The dog and the cat. I think is what they yeah. were called. I think is what they were called. He played the field one that that Danny Spawn played. And, and Carrie, Carrie Neal played in 2010 and 2011, you know, but that was fine as a freshman. Yeah. But then the next two years I, I had to watch a very talented player get wasted. And that's what kind of gives me pause when I, when I go into this hiring process, cause you're like, we've been here before. Yeah. Where you're like, well, they got a really talented team, but I think that the coach is the coach going to do something to screw it up. And that's what was so frustrating. Like 2015 for About example, that team. like, man, yeah. why did they not make the move to bring in a different DC? And and so that's where my cautious optimism comes from. Is, is so so agree with you on the aesthetic of the talent. My cautious optimism has to do with I'm feeling a lot better, a lot better, Sean. And you've seen the evolution in our private conversations of why I'm feeling better, but I'm feeling a lot better about okay, I get why Coach Freeman went this direction. I believe in him, mm-hmm. he believes in these hires. I've heard the reasons why I'm on board right now. I'll evaluate them on the job that they do, but I'm a lot more optimistic. My tone and my feelings are a lot, I'm a lot more optimistic about that. There, there is a staff in place as a collective right. to get these guys headed in the right direction and take that big jump. And that's, that's where I'm a lot. I'm, I'm you know, I'm excited about it. I am. I am I, I, cautiously. I should say I'm excited about the talent, cautiously optimistic that this coaching staff is gonna be able to get the most out of that talent. That's where I'm yep. at. That's where I'm at. Sean, that's going to do it for this portion of the show. we got a mailbag coming up next, and we finally started getting some questions in here. Uh, but we're going to go to the mailbag next. But before we do, folks, I put up the wrong thing here. It's supposed to be that right there. Um, but uh, do me a favor. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button, folks. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. 
If you have not done so already, please subscribe to our Irish Breakdown podcast on, on all platforms that you can find, Apple, Spotify, all of it. And also sign up for our CFB Nation platform because on the CFB Nation platform, you can get access to all of Lucky Lefty's podcasts. And so the one thing that Sean does, he does what we do with our podcasts where, you know, if you do like an hour or two hour long show with Malik, you'll break it down into different segments. So it's a little bit shorter, a little bit, you can consume a little bit more at a time, come back later for part two, things like that. Yep. So you can definitely get that on there. And of course, also please sign up for our CFB Nation YouTube page. I'm working on some deals, trying to get some more stuff added to that here moving forward. And I'm excited about some potential things that are happening, but we'll see if they do or they don't. But you'll definitely want to subscribe to that as well. And as always, Sean, Sign up for the message boards at boardsirishbreakdown.com and check out our website at www.irishbreakdown.com.